welcome back. This is episode, I think we're gonna call this two. Sure. Uh, we're restarting the episode count again, but you know, oh well, deal with it. How many iterations have we done? Uh, Geek's Den went about 50, uh, excuse me, The Basement, which went about 50 episodes. Irrelevant how many, just how many iterations. This will be the third. So this is 3.2. Yeah, yeah. We will call this episode 3.2. 3.2, alright. I'm your host, JD. This week I'm once again joined by Joel. Hello. We forgot to do this part last week. Oh, nice. We just kind of went into it. But, oh well. That's fine. So this week we're going to try something a little different. This week I'm going to start with a quote. Three hidden keys open three secret gates, wherein the errant will be tested for worthy traits. And these, those with the skills to survive these straits will reach the end where the prize awaits. And it's from Anorak's Almanac from Ready Player One. Oh, that's pretty cool. That was part of the original um, video that he put out when he first died. That was to start the whole quest, the whole hunt. That was the riddle you gave? Yep. That's pretty cool. <clears throat> so do you want to go right into Ready Player One review then? Sure. Um, just after we recorded last week, uh, we went and saw the movie for Ready Player One. Um, before we go into the movie review, I do have to correct myself from last week's episode. I kept referring to it as the Oculus. It is actually the Oasis. Yes. Which Oasis stands for anthropologically anthropomorphic sensory sim. Oh my god, sensory immersive simulation. Try saying that five times fast. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we went and saw Ready Player One. Um, it it was rather good. It it does move away from the book, deviate from the book, yeah, quite a bit. Um, which it had to. The book's pacing can get kind of slow at times. Um. There's a huge section that is not dealt with in the movie that would have slowed the movie way down and just would have killed the movie. Um, the biggest thing that bothered me about the movie was the uh, the first gate, or first key, excuse me, uh, was changed. In the book, like I said, that was um, that was uh, Temple of Horrors. Mm-hmm. And in the movie, it's a car race. Yes. And... It had taken them five years to complete the race, but someone figured out the riddle for the first key quickly. They just couldn't finish the race for in five years, which that was one thing that really bothered me in the book. And I have the, that riddle as well. The whole thing here. That's on the right page after all. The copper key awaits explorers in a tomb filled with horrors, but you have much to learn if you hope to earn a place among the high scorers. Now, like I said, there's a planet with a school on it. All the schools. Nobody picked up on the learn part. So, they, they left that out. So, kind of, you know, changing that first key around, you know, maybe a little bit happy. Because it solved my biggest complaint with the book. It took them that long to figure that out. Um, cinemagraphic, cinemagraphically? Is that the word I want? You're talking about the movie. CGI? Yes. CGI. CGI. It's a beautiful movie. Okay. I, I feel like the CGI was very well done. For what it was supposed to be. Right, no, it was supposed to look like a virtual reality world. I feel like they did a very good job with that. Um, There there was a lot of questions that I feel like they left out. Like, they didn't really portray all the different worlds that well in the movie as much as I feel like they did in the book. No, no, the book goes well in depth. 
about describing the planets and especially the ones they visit. Um, the ones they visit kind of changes around, and, and the the book between the book and the movie, the not only do you have to collect the key, each key opens a gate, and you have to clean clear the gate too. Mm-hmm. The movie only portrayed as you know there was three keys in one single gate, so there's a lot more worlds that they visited in the book versus the movie. I do want to see it again. I'm not going to pay the money to go see it in theaters again. Mm-hmm. But I would like to, you know, Redbox or whatever, because I'd like to see what hidden um, references I missed. Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot of them. There is a lot of them. Yeah. Talk about 80s references, right? Yeah, all the 80s references. Not, well, it was more than just 80s in uh, the movie. Yeah, that's true. Um, supposedly, Laura Croft is in that opening scene during the race. But it wouldn't surprise me. Um, there was one point I think I saw a um, gives a war gun, but it went by too quickly. During the huge final battle, someone picks up a gun that looks like it has the chainsaw. Oh yeah, on from, the front of it. Yes, from Gears of War. Yes, did I hit the wrong game? I, yeah, I don't know what you said. But oh, okay. <laughs> yes, from Gears of War. I don't know if my brain just lagged. Um, There's some really cool ones in that. There was I love how they had drones of Halo guys. They they, they, they they walked around in packs. It's like, hey, there's the twelve year olds. And then Sorry you act- appear twelve years old. Then, then you actually fine. saw the the real world side of that scene and it was a bunch of middle schoolers. Yep. <laughs> One of my favorite references was the uh his headset, his speaker headset on the uh Oasis device. Mm-hmm. Each headphone was uh had a different logo on it. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what one was, but the other one I thought I saw it when it first went by. I'm going to better look at it later, and it was. It was the uh, Greatest American Hero logo from the 80s TV show of the same name. Um, which me and Dad had been watching a lot, so I thought it was really cool that it was in there. Just very interesting. I actually met that dude. Oh, that's pretty cool. I got his autograph. He was one of the cheapest ones at that Comic-Con, too. Well, that's interesting. Um, so, I thought that it was... A very strange ending to the movie, how it was, like, him going in and talking with, oh, what's his name again? Halliday. Halliday. And a kid version of Halliday was there just playing the game. It was like, and then they're discussing, like, you are dead right. And he was like, well, <laughs> which makes me think, like, did he just upload his brain into and, the Oasis? Into the Oasis and leave his body behind. And does he regret that? I feel like that's where the second book and movie are going to go, partially. It's an interesting, interesting thought. Um, Sorry, I sh- didn't say spoiler alert, but yeah. I feel like when you talk about a movie review, there's, the, there's always the case that you know you might want to skip over it anyway. Because it's, spoilers happen. Um, the kid... In the realm of the movie, the kid doesn't make sense. Again, it's one of those things that the book cleared up. In the original, the way that the quest begins is it's an actual, like, 15-minute video. And he talks about what's going to be happening. Mm-hmm. And in said video, he does turn himself back to 8, 9 years old mm-hmm. to show off one of his favorite video games and then changes back into Anorak, his Oasis avatar. So that's more why the kid was there. Okay. It's just the movie didn't touch upon the original Anorak's Quest video that was put out. Um, 
Again, if you can, <laughs> you can get past Bill Wheaton's voice. Take a look at the book, anybody. And uh, the other book that Ernest Klein wrote that's on Audible, which is Armada, just downloaded this morning, um, is also narrated by Will Wheaton. Oh, that's cool. So, forewarning, in the book, Will Wheaton basically talks about himself in third person. I bet you he loved every <laughs> second of that. Um, they talk about elections, and apparently there are there is a president and vice president of the Oasis. Really? Yes. And the president is some can uh, I don't know him, but he's a Canadian blogger for for geek stuff, video games, everything. But the vice president is Will Wheaton himself. Wow. Yep. Yep. So he talks about how he voted for Will Wheaton for vice president. <laughs> because those two old geezers have been doing a great job at running things. I'm like, it must be weird to refer to yourself as an old geezer. And, you know, talking about voting for yourself at that point. <laughs> as someone else. As someone. Yeah. Um, I have, I have lists of things for, you know, how they happened and how they didn't happen. But I won't go into those because that would that's definitely going to be spoilers. Yeah. That's pretty much it. Yeah. Overall, uh, on a scale like one to five stars, what would you, as a movie? As a movie, I'd, I'd still give it five stars. I really, really enjoyed that movie. I feel like it had too many plot holes. I'd only give it like, I, it was still a very, very good movie. I'd only give it four stars, though, as, as just a movie on its own. Still worth seeing, just not, I don't know if it was going to the movies worth scene um it, it's although def- to be fair we also did have like a partially blown speaker above us yes in the theater yes i don't know if that made a difference i feel like it definitely uh hindered the definitely. experience yeah um it's definitely not a movie that's going to you know last the test of time it does it is completely dating itself with the book itself as well Talking about all the 80s stuff. All the references and everything in it, it, it's definitely dating itself. I mean, the movie does throw you, like we said, Halo and Gears of War. There's a Borderlands planet, as we saw. Mm-hmm. Um, so it does try to modernize itself. Granted, the book was only written in 2011, so. Um, but they did try to throw more more references that younger kids would, would understand and re- re- uh, recognize. Mm-hmm. So, but, you know, 10, 15 years from now none of those kids or anything you're going to know any of it. No, the, the thing is, where he already has the deal for the second one, if he does just make it like how it was owned by someone who's obsessed with the 80s, and he might be like, well, maybe we make this modern now with Percival, you know? That could be a thing with the second one coming yep. out. No, I, and I, it could become a less niche references. It could, but the problem is as we were, this is Set in 2044, mm-hmm. um, 2045. In its world, when Anorak's quest first started and you realized that all the hints and everything were 80 references... The culture changed. The culture changed. And in that world, 80s references became prevalent again. And so, as far as Parzival is concerned and anyone that goes into the Oasis, 80s references are cool, it's the thing, and... It's not dated. It is dated, but it's not dated. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, who knows? Maybe this movie could <laughs> could do that to a, to an extent. I'm not saying to the level of the Oasis. Mm. They came back, but maybe it won't date itself as that long, that quickly, that whatever. 
Well, I feel like it's at the extreme draw of winning the Oasis, though. I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm, inter- I'm really interested to see where things go with the second book and movie. Mm-hmm. Um, just because of, you know, how the whole Ready Player One storyline is. It was all about winning the quest and getting control of the Oasis and becoming head of uh, Gregarious Games and getting, you know, Halliday's Billions. What's it called? Gregarious Games. Or, as it is with the Oasis, it, they changed the name to Gregarious Simulations. Well, Gary Gygax is the guy who invents D&D. And that's a ridiculously similar Oh my name. god, that is so close. <laughs> well, you know what? That's probably what it is. That's probably exactly what that is. Because the book, um, he became friends with Ogden Moros because, you know, as the movie portrayed, uh, Halliday is more of a social outcast. Mm-hmm. Um, Halliday recognized a shirt or something he was wearing that was a video game in the time or something and sorry, oh, you know, you're a geek too. Hey, come play D&D with us. Oh, and that's awesome. He goes, come join our session, just, you know, sit on the first one, see if you like, and then that's how he became friends with Ogden Morrow was D&D. Oh, really? So, it's very possible that when they created their own game company, they named it Gary's Games to, you know... Gary Gygax. Exactly. That is, that is very... Very possible. And that's actually... I won't go down that road. Well, do you want to go right into Gary Gygax? Because that's one of the people I was going to talk about in this. Yes. By chance. <laughs> like when it loops like that, you know, by itself. Right? That was awesome. Um, so, Gary Gygax, right, uh, invented D&D. I just wanted to point that out. And one of his... Because uh, we wanted to bring quotes in this now. Um... The, one of his quotes was, The essence of a role-playing game is that it's a group, cooperative, experience, and effort. So it's all about, like, it's for everyone, and it's, like, not just up on to the DM whenever you guys are playing your games to role-play, to put in an effort, to try and move things along. It's up to everyone in it, because it's everyone's experience. I just wanted to just point that out and make sure that's known by everyone, and that it's coming from the man himself. Um... So, we're going to talk a little bit about our D&D update. Do you want to talk about your fa- where your Fallout 1 was, or do you want to amend anything to that? Or did you want to just go with no, where I'm, I'm putting you guys? No, just more of a footnote on the Fallout 1. Um, because we talked about how, you know, unbalanced it was. Mm-hmm. Um, it is an uncompleted game. Yes. Um, I Like I said, I found a, a PDA version of it online, and... It never made it to press, technically. It never really made it past a... This is a second draft on it. Yep. And it even talks about how there was supposed to be a third draft coming real soon. And I'm guessing that's right about the time that Interplay was losing... Rights. Losing the rights, and it was going over to Bethesda. That makes sense. Or just, you know, Interplay just... Where Interplay was at the time, didn't want to invest the money into a D&D campaign type of thing. Yep. Because they were suffering. So that's that's all I really wanted to throw on that. Okay. So I'm going to talk a little bit about where I am going with um, our D&D. Dan's character it has come up with a new character to replace his dead one that died last, uh, last session. No, we they don't even know that Dan died. Oh. Because that was that night. Oh, that was that night, so we have nothing going. We have, they, they know the rough story. Okay. Whenever you gave them on that, but they don't know anything that happened. 
Okay, so the whole point of this was going to be to have them swoop in, see on the way to the scouting party, and find that the scouting party was ransacked, and um, he, they were going to uh, just turn around and leave. But they wanted to come in for a closer look, and the pilot failed. And then on the saving throw for that crit fail, I, he rolled a two. So I'm like, mm, you guys are going down. So the, I had them crash. Um, and then I was just going to go until, like I said, one of them dies. Which, Dan, uh, is the sore loser there. Uh, well, to be fair, Carl hid. Carl hid. He was a rogue. I, this is true. This is true. But yeah. In an army situation, I would do no different. <laughs> I'd still give you crap, too, though. I agree. But, to be fair, from a DM's perspective, he did the the right thing. And the rogue's perspective. Yes, and (laughs) if he was a fighter hiding, I would have been like, okay, you're hiding up against a thing that just fell over. (laughs) You haven't noticed yet. Um, So, uh, Dan's character is the first one to down. Now, they crashed into, like, a large, large mob of zombies. I'm um, not zombies, I'm sorry, goblins of Kelvy Forest. Uh, so they crash there. Uh, I go until Dan's character dies, and then I have a portal open up as a um, safety net. Hmm? Safety net? No. No, okay. This is a rip in this time space continuum in this world. The twinborn aren't so much see each other and communicate with each other, but. If one dies, the other gets ripped into the other one's spot without any prior knowledge that this is going to happen. So, this is, uh, that's how I'm rolling that. So, it's going to work very, very interesting where these characters are just ripped into another world and thrown into a situation in the middle of, like, their day job or (coughs) if it was in the middle of the night or... (laughs) We'll see what's, what time of day it was next session, because we paused it right there. So he gets ripped into this downed airship. He comes from a steampunk world, and I had, luckily I had the crew rolling to see if they could repair the ship, and they had a 19 and an 18, so the ship is repaired enough to take off. So that's why they're taking off, and I had uh, Rashan come in and help clear off some uh, goblins to the airship, and they're about to take off. So that's about where they're at in D&D. I got a bunch of kills. You have, yes. Uh, so uh, Josh's character was using a moonbeam and just going left to right in jo- shoulder-to-shoulder-thick spearmen of goblins, just wiping them out. So that was beautiful. Dan's character... Uh, threw out a huge illusion to try and distract another section, which was working. But, I mean, there was still a lot, and Carl's character hid. Yeah, I'm having fun with it. I can't wait for the next meet. It should be good. I'm interested to see how Dan's new character comes along. Yes. Um. So, I will stop and talk a little bit about Dan's character and the world he's from. Because Josh is going to be making a backup character for, inevitably, when his character dies... I plan on having each of my party members lose at least one character. I am a terrible mean DM. Yeah. But I like to keep things fresh. 
Um, so this is a world where instead of the civilization being on the surface of the planet, it's in the core. It's under the uh, surface. So there are these dwarf-like people called the uh, Daru, just like in the book. But they're giant people. And they only can have... The only magic they inertly have is control over stone and mud and rock. They can't learn any other types of magic. And they tend to be fighter-type um, classes that also are good at stone. Um, there's a steampunk. It does a steampunk world. There are rock gnomes with way better tinker ability that I have been homebrewing. Because I think the one that comes in the PHB is extraordinarily weak and doesn't capture the true idea of what they can do in my opinion um and the main race is going to be drow uh to this world and they are the dominant race they're the ones who are 80 percent or so of the 80 percent of so of the populace are drow and when i say that i don't mean the slave race which are humans humans are going to be the slave race of this world so that's going to be a very interesting dynamic, and I'm going to find a way to have magic to be able to have the party as a group be able to go between worlds in this next session as well. I'm going to expose them to that idea and how to accomplish it. Fascinating. Yes. Fascinating. I, I can't wait. Yeah. So, I have a lot of... Oh, I'm also going to treat magic different. I'm making a mana pool system. And it has a no actual spell list. I'm going to get rid of that. And I'm just going to have them describe a spell to me. And I'm like, okay, take out this much mana. And I'm just going to completely DM judgment everything. Or, no, you're not powerful enough to cast that. And I actually, uh, I think it's going to work very well. I'll let you guys know next, after the next session. I'm going to be trying to, and this is about a year or so from now. Yes. I'm going to be homebrewing a Fallout. Um campaign through fantasy grounds as well through fantasy grounds as well using um dnd fifth as the basis with completely custom class which is so easy to do custom race which is real easy to do in uh fantasy grounds yeah i'm gonna harkening back to the fallout we did just redone redone uh, updated and completely homebrew i think we're, josh and i are actually gonna sit down soon and start chipping away at this and that way, when we go to do it, we'll be like, hey, guys, this is a fully fleshed yeah. out campaign. What? Where did this come from? But I'm allowing, in the original Fallout D&D, P&P, whatever you want to call it, um, you could be human, ghoul, dog, robot, and Deathclaw. I'm going to allow everything but the Deathclaw. That's cool. I just don't feel like dealing with the party I... having a freaking Deathclaw. Would you allow more than just that, such as synth or... Um, something like that, and have like, hey, I have a background. I came from Commonwealth. Yeah, yeah, the synth would be allowed. That's cool. We'll do the synth or something similar to that. You know, yeah, no, because even three had had synth. That's true. If you haven't figured it, if you haven't done that quest by now, I have no problem. Spoiler alert. spoiling this one. And Harkness is our freaking uh, synth down at uh, Rivet City. Rivet City, the guard. He's a uh, he's a synth. So, you know, it goes back to more than just four. Yep. So yeah, no, since since you're totally gonna be allowed, we'll just get a... What what time frame are we thinking? Uh are we I don't know. I don't know where I want to put you guys yet. 
I kind of want to have a later date where people are actually starting to come back and numbers are actually growing. Um, I'm thinking of either putting you in the Capital Wasteland or the Commonwealth. Yes. I mean, I'm definitely thinking East Coast versus, you know, either, you know, because I know so, I know so little about the background on the NCR. I don't, I, I'm not fond of the NCR anyway. So, whereas they would be the major... I do request that Enclave are prevalent. No, you're going to need a major uh, conflict anyway. So, um... Are you saying that the Enclave are usually involved with major conflict? No, not at all. <laughs> um, but that, if we went West Coast, it would be NCR, because you're putting, put, I'd be putting you either, you know, the Mojave or out in California, and that's all NCR. Who could, who controls New York City? I have no idea. I don't remember there really being too many references or any references about New York. That's interesting to me. I just want to throw that out there. I'm sure there's going to be somewhere, but I'm not, and I'm the one that reads the terminals. No, I know you are. Um, yeah, no, I'm not remembering anything about New York City. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. I like, I like finding holes in known worlds to add my own lore. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be a while before we're back to this coast too, because we're we're a number of years away from the next fallout, which most likely will go back to west, the west, and probably put you. I have a feeling that this is going to be an Alaska game. For being Alaska, you know, it's very prominent. I feel like so many people liked Anchorage that there someone's nagging the back of the head like Alaska. I hated the year at Anchorage mission. Really? I hated that one. I kinda liked that. I liked what you got at the end of it. I liked the winterized power armor. You didn't go to the Chinese cell suit? Nope. You're missing out. I went with the power armor that did not deteriorate. Its its conditioning rate was like a point oh one. I would rather not get shot than have to worry about something deteriorating. Things don't deteriorate if you don't get shot. It's true, but you know, I I never, never had to repair that thing. Like I said, it, its conditioning deterioration was like a .01 rate. Yeah, it's like the same as the weather ten millimeter. Yeah, it just it did it. It was essentially uh, invincible. Not the word I wanted, but indestructible. That's the one I wanted. Thank you for helping me out at the afterwards, though. Yeah, not a problem. Staring at me blankly. Um, I'll see what I can find out about New York. So now we're going to move on to uh, one game that Joel has a boatload of time on. So I actually calculated it out just for demonstration purposes. I have uh, my Steam logged, which is logged in-game hours, 2,324 hours, which is roughly 97 days. (laughs) (laughs) So... You can say that I've played Civ once or twice. <laughs> um, I do play quite a bit online. Um, I'm actually kind of... I'm contemplating streaming games, but it's Civ, so it's kind of a boring thing. I've contemplated recording them and putting them on YouTube. I think that's a better way to go, and um, I can edit and chop up. <clears throat> I was talking with um, Dan Snow the other night, and he suggested um, streaming Civ games. Do, do like a uh, multiplayer game and... And stream it. And stream it. I'm down for that. And Dan Snow was saying that? Dan Snow was suggesting it. I'm down. All right. So I want to talk about so a lot about Civ Six Because this actually has probably become my favorite game. Hence, so many hours played mm-hmm. of it. 97 days. 97 days of in-game time. 
Now, even taking out the times that I get left on, the computer just got left logged in for 24 hours. Yeah, no, there has been, like, probably seven times where I accidentally left it on overnight. Oh, yeah. No, you're still over 90 days. Yeah, I'm still well over 90 days <laughs> in game time. But uh, What is your favorite um, save to play as? That really depends on my outcome that I want to win in. So, I, I, that's how I would break that out. If it was a... Which type do you want first? I don't want to make decisions. Um, well, we'll go with my favorite victory type, culture. Alright, so my favorite person to win culture with is Pericles, the uh, Greek um, culture win version. Not Sparta, but Athens. Uh, so Pericles has some really uh, nifty abilities. Uh, his uh, specialty district, first of all, for culture win is the purple culture district which gives a bonus, whatever, um, towards envoys and towards culture for adjacencies with hills. Oh, right? With hills? No, it's not with hills. It's irrelevant. Um, he also gets 5% more culture for each sea state that he's a suzerain of. So I like to paracles then lower the amount of, or leave the amount of adjacent players, but increase the amount of city states in the game. But then I'll throw something like uh, Frederick Barbosa, who likes to hunt them, and then make it so that there's a major conflict that I'm going to have to deal with. So that's one of my favorite ways to do a culture game, culture win. Science. Uh, the, the Probably <clears throat> my, the best one for a science victory is actually one of the newest ones for uh, Robert, the Bru- Robert the Bruce of Scotland. He has a, um, the happier his people are, the more science and production he has. And if you have science of production, that's all you need for late game science victory to get out to Mars. So, keep your people happy. More science production is really nice. And then he has the golf course, which makes his people happy, which is self-productive. Um, their Highlander unit, which is my favorite unit in the game, is Ranger and is the scout and then the Ranger. Theirs is a improved ranger, which is just meant for combat, which is the best thing in the game, in my opinion. So, yeah. They can also attack, uh, declare War of Liberation earlier, and they get bonuses when they do that, which is cool. They act as like, hey, 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 everyone just stay in your own borders kind of game, which is what you want for a science. Domination. Domination. This is the hardest one. Because it depends on if I want to go, like, if it's a water main world, I like to either go Japan or England. Or if it's, like, a land-based, I will go Shaka Zulu almost every single time. Because of their, uh, whenever they capture a city, that unit becomes an army. Or a uh, two or three unit, depending on where you are in the world. Which is really cool. And religion. So I've actually yet to win as religion because I get bored, <laughs> and I just like I don't want to keep on just throwing out drones of these stupid missionaries and apostles. It's boring, but it's it's easiest as Gandhi. I would I would say because then you don't you have the benefit of people don't want to go to war with you, and if you do religious pressure on enemies, they tend to make you go to war with them, which makes sense. I mean that's how the world's worked so yeah, far. Yeah, no. Makes complete sense. Um, but I also want to talk about... My, but my favorite <clears throat> Civ is that, like, if I just want to play, it, if, like, it's a group game or something, I will like to play as Australia. 
because Australia is just nice bonuses, nice, easy, nice, useful, solid groundwork bonuses towards food production, housing, and their digger unit, which replaces the infantry unit, which is from mass production uh, technology tree is one of the strongest at that period units there is, which is a really critical point in military wins. So, that's nice. But I like to talk about the rule sets, because I feel like a lot of people don't talk about how cool Civ Six rule sets really are. So far, there are eight rule sets out? Seven. Seven, and then standard. Um... So, a lot of them are really cool, but the Outback Tycoon, last summer's one, update, was the coolest one there was, in my opinion. Because it was all about exploration and survival. Not domination, not beating you, it was just survival. Which was really cool and unique to for a Civ game to me. Speaking of summer updates, the one coming out in, like, two weeks is supposed to be on par with how good that one was. Ooh. So I'm looking forward to that. Neato. Um, so the the expansion. Which one? The newest one. What about it? Talk about that. Um, I actually there isn't much released about it. No, the they, one the one that just came out, the uh, Rise and Fall. Oh, Rise and Fall. Okay, so Rise and Fall added a whole bunch of new things to the game. They added the whole idea of each era. Depending on how you do that era, should have a more of an impact in the game, which makes sense exactly how history worked. Um, so they added Dark Age, Normal Age, or Golden Age to each era, depending on how well you do in each era. But I don't think they scaled it correct, because I'm still playing either... I like to play Immortal games, because I just don't like how ridiculous Deity is. I like to just casually play, so I play on Immortal. And... I'm still getting, like, go, like first thing is, like, get 24 points for Golden Era. And it's like, mm, I'm at 64. And it's just, like, they haven't they haven't scaled that correctly yet. Or I just might have just broken this game too much. <laughs> I'm not sure which. Rise and Fall also added a bunch of um, sieves. Yes. They have added, they've almost doubled the amount of sieves in DLCs as what they launched with. I believe they launched with 18, and they're up to 30? Or something like that? There's, there's a ton. It's really good. Um, I'm not going to go over each and every single one, because there's just too many. And no. there's too much on each one. And that'd take a lot of time. It would probably double the length of the show. It would triple the length. <laughs> because I'd actually break down like all of their abilities and how to use it best. Yeah, that would triple it. <laughs> like I that said, would, it would, would easily triple it. Triple it. Um, but Josh, who do you enjoy playing most as? Because Josh does play, have quite a few hours left. I got 200 some odd hours on the game. Yeah, so it's, he's played quite a bit of it. Um, I really I really like culture games. I can't seem to concentrate on anything other than culture games. I've always been bad at um, military in games like this, so I normally don't go domination. And if you don't like, if you don't love domination religion's even worse. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I typically stick to science or culture, and I just end up on culture. I just probably, I just for some reason have a knack on, you know, drawing he, twice, he like, twice he, as much culture as I do uh, science. He concentrates quite a bit on world wonders, and if you concentrate more on world wonders, you naturally grow culture better. And that's why. 
Actually, I very rarely build wonders. Really? Because I find that you do you, you build wonders way more often than I do in most of my games, unless I'm going for a cultural. Um, because if I'm going for a science win, I might build three in a game after I have like. 20 I started cities. building them more when I got the mod to uh, wonder tweaks, mm-hmm. and a bunch of the wonders can hold great works. We should talk about some mods. I wanted to talk about some mods because I found something out about one of the mods I have. Oh, cool. Um, but no, I normally stick with um. Since Rise and Fall, I did, um, Wilhelima. Yes, of the Netherlands. Of the Netherlands, because she, uh... Amsterdam. Amsterdam. <laughs> because she, uh, she gets bonuses to culture on trades, on trade routes to and from, uh, her cities. I've gone France a lot because of the, um, Chateau. So, uh, something I should point out about France that Josh does not nearly take advantage of. Is her bonus to spies? Is her bonus to spies? I'm aware of what I don't do. He just ignores that he doesn't do it. <laughs> so I really enjoy playing as Catherine, not Catherine, right? Catherine, not Catherine. Prince? Yeah, okay. Cool. It's so many names. Anyway, I always uh, remember because she looks like Catherine f- uh, from uh, Game of Thrones. Yes, Stark. Yes, Tully. Whatever. Um. So she. She really, I really enjoy playing stuff. You you go for those those early spies, and you can really cripple, and I mean cripple your enemy with spies in this game. If you pay attention to your gossip, and see who builds what when, and control where your spies are correctly, and then you build your green cards in your diplomacy, if you build them off of the two spy ones, you can be absolutely devastating to anyone and you can do this as a single city Civ. I was in a game rather recently. Um, I forget who I was playing as. But with Rise and Fall, you can do agreements. And I was in a culture agreement, which boosts you, yeah, your uh, culture input mm-hmm. um, and the person you're in the agreement with. And then uh, that was with... I was doing that with Wilhelima. Mm-hmm. I was also doing trades with her. And 90% of the game I spent in the agreement with her. Now, from whenever you unlock it, to the end of the game, I was in an agreement with her. One of my great works ended up getting stolen, and I was blaming France. I thought for sure, because I knew she had spies, I already caught one of them. So I'm just like, yeah, it was France, she's what she's known for. I get towards the end of the game, and I'm trying to do a trade with Wilhelima, and I noticed she had my great work. I'm just like, you bitch! I'm like, we've been in an agreement this entire freaking time. I've been sending you trade route at the trade route to boost both our, uh, cultures more, and you're the one that stole it from me? Who are you playing as? I forget who I was playing as. But I was I was so pissed. I was so pissed. But going on the mods, yes, I just recently found out um, he finally updated the Game of Thrones one. Are you serious? When? Recently, within the beginning of the year. Since the beginning of the year, it's been updated. That's interesting. Um, now, he's changed it around. Um, Edmure is no longer in there. Edmure? No. Um. Edmund? Tully? No. I'm not even in the right- No, I'm not even in the right family. Um. Greyjoys. Oh, Balin? Baylor? Yeah. The, the badass motherfucker that rode the fucking thing. Oh, uh, Asher's brother. Uncle. Uncle, yes. Uncle. Hmm. 
God, I can't remember his name. Anyway, Gray Greyjoy. Yeah, he's not in it. That Greyjoy's not in it. Um, there's a couple people. Any family that had two is down to one. Is down to one. So who has the Starks? The Starks, I think, is Ned. So they got rid of John. Yeah. Really? Or it might be John now, and they get rid of Ned. That makes depending way on more how sense. the story, because that's where they are with the story. But we'll actually take a real look at that later on. Yes. Um, I just noticed the other day, and I just kept forgetting look to mention for that it. mod. That's one of the best mods for Game of Th for Civ Six. There is is the Game of Thrones mod. Make sure that you either have that on or off. You can't just like have that on in the background because it changes games way too much. Yeah, it, it's it's really weird if you're just trying to a regular Civ game and you do the the random Civs. It's even worse if you do your True Start location. Ooh, does it even work? I've had well, I've done real real map, but not True Start. Okay, and it's just like, why do the Greyjoys have England? <laughs> That's terrifying. Yeah, I was doing one. I just did random ones, and all of a sudden, I ran into uh, to Daenerys. I ran into uh, Lannister. It was weird. Um, a sieve of ice and fire. Yes. <clears throat> so I want to talk about some of my favorite mods real quick. Amenities from Copper and Crabs is the cheapest, dumbest mod ever, but it is one of the best ones because it, it helps you out in a pinch. And it's nice. Crabs and what? Copper. Copper, okay. I also have more spies enabled, which is just because... Plain and obvious on what it is. Yeah. Uh, resourceful is one of the coolest mods that Josh and I have found. It is. It adds like 30 to 40 bonus and uh, luxury resources. Stuff like uh, maple syrup. Lead. Lead. Mercury. No, Mercury's already in it. Uh, no. We've been playing I've had this on for so long, I'm not sure. Uh, aloe and algae are water ones, um, or desert and water. There's some really cool ones out there, but Resourceful is one of the best mods. It's very well done, too. Oh, I also really enjoy the Wendy's fast food mod because it adds science and uh, amenities and food. Is that a sieve or what? <laughs> it's okay. So it's the it's two things. The first thing is you build it in your town. Both of them are you build in your town. One is you can build after masonry. It's just the Wendy's restaurant. It adds a food and an amenity. Then after you have a campus, you can do the Wi-Fi, a Wendy's with Wi-Fi, <laughs> which adds a science, a amenity, and a food. So you can have two amenities, two food, and a science because of this mod in each of your cities. Oh, my God. So it's cheap, but I really, really, really like Wendy's food as well. And that's why he made this mod. <laughs> oh, my God. That's so perfect for you. Yeah. Um. So that's, that's about what I have. For mods that I actually recommend, I've tried a whole bunch. I've tried Zelda ones, and it's just like, eh, they're okay. There's, there's a whole bunch of them that are just mediocre, I feel. Now, I, I have a JFK one. Um, oh, Starting Units is also a really good one. Yes. Um, I had a JFK one. I've got a um, Native American one. I've had two different Native American ones, because the one I had first, um, the dude got rid of Crooked Hand. Um... Um, there's also a mod that I want to point out. If you feel that people are forward settling you, like, too close and just really, really, really at wit's end, there's this mod called City Range Up 4, 
which makes it so the nearest city from you is no longer a three-way, it's four-way. So that way it's one extra tile away. That helps out with that. Just like, go away, please. You you know who you are. TikTok to Glenn. <laughs> Ford settles me every time. Um, did we want... Is there anything else in particular you wanted to talk about? Um, well, one thing we forgot to talk about when we were on D&D was... The new book! The new book! Okay, so we got Xanthar's Guide of Everything. To everything. Not of everything. There are a lot of useful tables in here for magic items and encounters and background information for your character and reasons why your character became what they are. There's a lot of more of that stuff in here. Which is really good for someone like myself, who is is bad at coming up with their own background and all that information. To have a chart like that that can just give ideas. Even if you don't roll on it, you just read it and be like, oh, that's a really cool story of why my character became a ranger. Yep. And that's why my character became a hermit. Exactly. And it does add um, subclasses, sub arcs to archetypes. Archetypes. Um, It adds, um, I think the lowest one was one. Yeah, well, I wizard or something gets it at level one. No, 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 one of them. And then the rest of them all have, like, three about archetypes that it adds yes. to each class. Which is really, really cool stuff. Um, like, Arcane Archer. Um, there's some classic ones in there. Um, they add some cool ones to Sorcerer that I wanted to point out. They actually add, like, a Stormbringer to Sorcerer. And add a whole bunch of list of electricity-based spells to the spellbook. Which I think was severely lacking and that's one of the things I commented about originally <laughs> when we podcasted. They listened to us. They listened to me. <laughs> <laughs> All no right. other sentence has described Joel so perfectly. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I just wanted, like, there are a lot of, like, really cool things in this book. It breaks down, like, even more mm, history and culture of each class as well, on top of the subclasses, like, more lore about the druids and how they came to being and talking about, like, how they grew, uh, conjugate and group. That's really interesting reading. Now, this is a brand new book. This just came out on November 21st of last year, uh, 2017. So relatively new book. Um, that's pretty much it. No, I wanted to throw that away. We forgot to talk about that one on D&D. So, um, we talked about D&D video games. Plugs. Um, so, I was on Twitch last week. Yes. Um, I was playing Town of Salem, and I actually had viewers for the first time. Um, I got up to four at one time. I mean, that's that's nothing. That's a low number. I don't, it's weird that I'm excited about that, but I had four viewers. Yeah, but in the beginning, four is better than the zero we were used to. <laughs> um, and I was actually having that active chat conversation with a couple people. So, first of all, I want to throw out a plug to... Um, Timmy, that was his actual username on Town of Salem. He has a Discord called Town of Discord. It's all, uh, Town of Salem related. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah. Before warned, there is a page on there that is not safe for work. That was the link he gave me, and it was a little bit of a shock to the system. Did not expect that when I clicked on the link. Well then. <laughs> um, be warned. <laughs> <laughs> Stay away from the Batcave. <laughs> And 
just a shout out because they were the other person I was talking and playing with is Gabe123-3211. Well then, nice name. So, shout out to you guys for being my first viewers on Twitch. I did not have any conversation. I had six viewers. It was my max. Oh, that's playing awesome. League. Um, actually, the best part about that was I was playing as Ziggs, which is mid lane mage, which if you know League, you know Ziggs. I'm annoying. <laughs> um, I am a, I'm going to say partially Ziggs main. I even have like the Ziggs statue that they came out with. That was like $200 in my living room. Um, he is my favorite character. I, I'm a, recently been on an echo spree, but anyway, during the streaming, I actually got a quadra kill as Ooh, Ziggs. Nice. Which felt really good. And then I was like, I can't believe that. I was actually recording. So just throwing that out there. That's really awesome. Um, um, my Twitch name is Onion Allergy. One word, all lowercase. Hence, my onion allergy. Do not send me onions. I will die. <laughs> Mine, once again, is JD Doyle 90 um, you can find us on Facebook over at facebook.com forward slash the Geeks Den. You can find us, please like and review or subscribe, excuse me, not like, and review us on iTunes. It is the Geeks Den 2.0. Should we find a new medium? <laughs> <laughs> that game pissed me off. That game pissed me off. Yeah, no, you other medium was AFK for like, what, three days? And then comes back to, oh, I'm medium, that guy's lying. And I'd been sitting there the entire time actually giving information from being a medium. He's like, he's lying, let's lynch him. And the town started to listen to him. And then, like, the next day, he's like, I'm so sorry. After I was already dead, I was blowing him up in the chat like, you are a moron. There's another medium. You came in at the middle of the night, another medium. And two seconds later, the night ended. We didn't say anything because it was only two seconds. And you started accusing there's no other medium. So I blew him up in the chat at night. Yep, and then uh, I saw the dead going, Hippie, are you there? Because I that's I run Hippie 90, 99% of the time. And they're like, okay. I'm like, yes, I'm here. Like, okay, yeah, okay, we have two mediums. And they finally convinced the other guy. He's like, yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. He's actually a medium. Confirmed. And I'm like, thank you. I would have been, been so pissed if they actually lynched me. But that's about it. Um, Because they immediately lynched him, too, for lying. <laughs> like, they were both mediums. Are they idiots? <laughs> well, one of us was. Um, Usually both. Yeah, but I wasn't the idiot in that situation. I said usually. <laughs> well, I think that's it. We got a good show going. I agree. Um, yeah, you have a good night, guys. Have a good night.